Welcome to the Live Your Own Fit podcast here with your hosts, Jamie L and Pete Jacobs. Today, we're very happy and grateful for Laban at Ditchburn. Um, Laban is a keynote motivational speaker, an avid runner. He is an ultramarathon finisher, and he's also founder of the Become Your Own Superhero podcast. And we're very, very happy to have you here. Welcome, Laban. Good evening. Good morning, everybody. Thank you very much for having me on the show. It's a it's a treat, it's a delight, and I'm honoured that you've asked me to come on. So thank and you. Where are you from right now? You're in Melbourne, broadcasting from my home in Southbank in Melbourne. Originally from New Zealand, celebrating my 20th year in this beautiful country. Awesome, amazing. Um, I'm going to start straight into some solid questioning about <laughs> who you like to get to the core of who you are and, and, and what people can learn from you. That is basically that you've been through some big life changes that has got you to where you are and feeling how good you're feeling and, and doing all the great things that you're doing. So can you just take us through when, where and how those changes occurred? <laughs> well, look, five, it was five years ago, really nearly to the day, that I found myself in my bed on a Tuesday night on a school night with about three bottles of red wine coursing through my veins, gambling on a horse race in a country that I wasn't in with money that was not mine and sort of knocking on the door of a place that I never really wanted to go into. And I had this epiphanous moment where I... I had this innate feeling, this innate sense that what I was doing was totally off direction from what I imagined my life might look like years earlier. And I knew, always knew I was destined for much greater things than, than what I was achieving at that point. And I spied a, a telephone number in the bottom left-hand side of the laptop screen on the gambling website for the Gambler's Helpline. And... Not only was I a gambler, I was obviously a drinker, but I was a recreational drug user. I was a philanderer. I used to have lots of limiting self-beliefs and used to talk really shitty language to myself. And that, that evening triggered a, a journey that I've been on to this day where I, I sought help and I didn't seek help as a sign of weakness, I sought help so that I was able to remain strong. And I got access to a, the psychologist through the Gambler's Helpline, and I got access to this free psychology for a year and a half through this run by the Salvation Army. So massive shout out to the Salvation Army. And, and from the first session, I started to understand that what I'd experienced in my childhood had a direct correlation with what was happening in my own life at that time. And as soon as I started to understand these things better, I was able to start the healing process. And that's where I've been going down for the last five years. Wow. Um, so a bit more about how did that go on? Like what was it that the psychologist, like the psychologist helped you do and what have you done since the, the process of change? Yeah, so the so for me, for my my dysfunction growing up was I was just simply a child of divorce. 
and you know which is even though it's prolific it's not it's not functional and it's not normal and it affects 50 percent of all marriages and there must be a bunch more that are affected that do stay together for a religious or financial you know restrictions and what I learned about my behavior was it was to do with escapism. Everything that I'd done, even in my youth, I used to whittle away days, weeks, and months playing, you know, inane video games. And it was because I was able to transport myself away from the pain that I was in. And I didn't know this until I had time away from the pain. And when you have time away from the pain and then it comes back, then you go, wow, that really hurts. And so the psychologist was really great at just triggering my own self-discovery about understanding that what I went through was directly related to creating these coping mechanisms in the form of escapism. And if they're left unattended as a child, they, they tend to always manifest themselves in your adulthood in the form of all the things that I used to do, drinking, gambling, drugs, you know, being overtly sexual and promiscuous you know, there's financial, uh, you know, issues associated with it as well. And a lot of this stems from either abandonment. So if you're, a, if you're a child of adoption or you had an alcoholic parent or parents or drug users or influential members in your life as part of your childhood, these can trigger these traumatic responses. And there was a study that they conducted on, it was an ACEs study. So one of the largest studies ever conducted on children. And one of the studies they did was they took these EMRI scans of these children that had been exposed to bomb blast explosions in Syria. And then they discovered that there was some trauma that happened in a certain part of the brain, not from the bomb blast itself, but the associated trauma of coping you know they talk about PST and that type of thing but they did the same brain scans on children in the western world that had been sexually abused and the damage to the brain was almost in the identical spot to the same amount and when I when I saw and read about that study it was conducted in about 1997 I think I was really fascinated and and began to understand that I couldn't diminish my own experience because the, the brain's interpretation of trauma will vary from person to person. So you can't, you can't undermine or you can't belittle your own experience. And this isn't about playing the victim card. That's the opposite of what I've done. I, I now own all of these experiences that have happened to me and now have converted them into my, my plutonium, my juice and the stuff that fuels me, right? And but the, the to answer your question, the psychologist was really instrumental in giving me or reframing what had happened to me, not as necessarily a bad thing, but as something that just happened. And this is probably why you're behaving like you are. And so I thought, hmm, wonder if I if I can heal from this, then maybe I can stop the behaviour. And as I went through the psychology and started reading, I became a ferocious reader. About trauma and self-development, meeting women, like, like health, nutrition, like everything. And for someone that failed school, I became, you know, an A-grade student. 
And so that sort of leads you towards other people that are healing and, and you end up learning more and more as you go along. And, but I really have to attribute the lady who I spoke to on the Gamblers Helpline, her name was Mary, my guardian angel. And uh, she spoke about the incredibly high rates of suicide that gamblers experience because of the rate and how, and how they can quickly lose everything mm. versus the other addictive behaviors. And that, that, that triggered something in me. And then sort of that's where we ended up now. Was there any sort of, um, just for other people out there to draw some sort of action step from, do you think there was any sort of like mantra or practice that you did every day to help you? Like when you were tempted to almost step back and go back to your old habits? Well, there wasn't a specific mantra per se. I just remember understanding once I took that desire away to escape, knocking all the addictions happened very easily. This hasn't, I haven't done this under duress. I'll be celebrating my fourth year of sobriety in on August 26th. Congratulations. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> and it's the best thing I've ever done. It's honestly one of the easiest things I've ever done, which I know people listening or watching this might be going, come on, Laban. But <laughs> honestly, you know, the recreational drug use stopped before that. So it must be like four and a half years since I've done anything. The gambling stopped. That'll be five years in December. And just no interest, no interest in it. And it's, so. I was going to say, it, it, it's amazing how it's all linked in like addiction, anxiety, escapism, the need for distraction, video games. Um, I mean, it's all the same response in the brain. And that is, it is trying to keep busy rather than just be present in the moment and calm without that need for a distraction. So have you built up some resilience there in, in other, in some practices like James said, or some things that you do, if you notice that that mind get, is getting a little bit too busy and anxiety or distractions are, are creeping in again to, to bring yourself back to the moment? Well, look, the, the thing that's really been so beneficial has been my diet in terms of that mental fortitude because my resilience and my mental strength and my anxiety and in any depressive thoughts and any suicidal thoughts have been virtually non-existent, especially in the last two years mm -hmm. since I got my gut health sorted. Because I, in all of that process, I was managing an autoimmune disease that I had for 17 years in the form of GERD, which I was on medication for, which is known to cause B12, malabsorption, iron, calcium, and, and would absolutely have affected my mood. Mm. Once I got all that sorted, my, my daily mantra really is exercise. You know, six to seven days a week, I'm doing something. I probably average about 21,000 steps a day, I think. And that's been, I don't know, just the, the, the moving and maybe just the, the using up of the cortisol or, you know, practicing the gratitude. Like it's a, mm. it's a huge holistic process. Mm. There's no, there's no silver bullet. It's not an easy thing to do, but by God, it's worth it. <laughs> and it's almost like you, without your diet working for you and managing that autoimmune response, it makes it very hard for you to get out and move and do those 21,000 steps per day. 
So, and then able to have the energy, the mental energy to then back up and do the gratitude practice. So yeah, it's very much like a flow on effect. And I think that's what um, a lot of people, that's our message we're trying to get across to people. And I know it's yours as well. It's very much about holistic performance in life um, as in sport as well. So can I add in then (laughs) with a question, like what do you do when you are out exercising that's calming your mind? Um, are you listening to music, podcasts, the nature, your breathing? Uh, what sort of things do you focus on to keep your awareness, you know, calm and relaxed so that you get the benefits of exercise without that stressed state of exercise? Can I tell you in a roundabout kind of way with a story? Because I think this mm. helps explain what's going on in my Perfect. head because it's complex at times. Yeah. <laughs> the, the catalyst for my running only started two years ago in May of 2018. And prior to that time, I had never run more than five kilometres in one go. Uh, I was carrying nearly 60 pounds of extra body weight or 20-something kilos. But I'd, had, I'd been mucking around with a bit of a keto diet and I'd lost a bit of weight. And there was a pivotal moment when uh, my brother, who lives in New Zealand, who lived with my mother at the time, called me up after yet another really dysfunctional fight. And it culminated in him being booted out on the street and I don't know who was right or wrong or whatever, but I was involved yet again as the peacemaker. And I remember being really, really angry at mum for like putting me in this position, but rather than responding aggressively, like I used to, Mm. because I've been developing, I thought I'd try another angle. And I, and I just sent her a message telling her that I loved her and that I forgave her and that uh, I, you know, I knew that she grew up in a really shitty dysfunctional alcoholic environment and that you know I understood that that what she went through and that there's light at the end of the tunnel and told her about my success with not drinking and gambling things that are prolific on both sides of the family and as I hit send on that text message I burst into the most guttural emotional weeping release that I'd ever experienced and I felt a physical weight lift off my shoulders and it was later that week that I started running and I ran 24 Ks nonstop wow. uh, in, in my first run because I felt so light and mm. uplifted. And at about the 12 or 13 K mark, I would burst into tears. But this time it wasn't tears of sadness. It was tears of joy. Mm. And this continued with all of my runs for about a year. I would start crying about the 14K. Now, I don't know what happens at the 14K mark, but it doesn't happen anymore. And I I really feel like, you know, in terms of the mantra or whatever, I don't listen to music anymore. I take in nature and try and be present. That that was my cathartic or catharsis. That was my healing. That was my mantra. That was my meditation, Mm. my running. And just, and it just, my body just healed with the combination of what I was doing to it, eating well and practicing proper, proper good stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, Wow. So it's funny how those other changes though feed into the next change. So that as your brain gets better at achieving one goal, like, okay, you decided to start running or you decided to change your diet you know, your mind got stronger and stronger to achieve the next one and the next one. And now you're, you're kind of invincible in the way that you can, you don't have any of that addiction or anxiety type of issues. Um, 
you mentioned the diet. So we'll ask you, you know, what, what were the big changes that you made two years ago? So like I mentioned, I went on keto originally and lost a bit of weight. And because plants for me were the, were the catalyst for my autoimmune disease, I had to, mm. I had to eliminate them. I had 20 different doctors tell me that what I had was an incurable disease. And fuck them because I, I cured it. Thanks to Chris Cresser, actually, the functional medicine guy on uh, Joe Rogan I watched. Yeah. And I'll be forever grateful to Chris for that. Um, but now, for be two years in August since I went carnival. Mm. And that involves the elimination of plants out of your diet. Uh, have I been 100% zero carb the whole time? No. I, I struggled with sugar for a while emotional eating but for the most part it's hand on heart easy to say that i've had 97 percent animal protein for the last two years and for the last six weeks i've switched over to what they call the lion diet which is just meat and water and no dairy and uh, i do have black coffee so i think technically that's like a dirty lion (laughs) (laughs) but um you know, I feel even better I, and I, like, I didn't think it was possible to feel any better. So I literally mm. just eat mainly scotch fillet, these beautiful just meat and skin um, pork sausages, lamb, uh, chicken, not, not a lot of chicken, lots of fresh oysters, um, fresh seafood. Um, I really haven't been eating that many eggs recently and no dairy at the moment. And I feel like... You mentioned earlier, like Tony Stark in Iron Man. <laughs> um, and I was going to say, your cold turkey you mentioned earlier, like when you went without the alcohol, um, you actually found it easy. And I'm the same. Like I don't do moderation well. I'm much happier going cold turkey. Um, I've just got to do it. I've got to make something right. I'm going cold turkey and zero, and then I'm stick to that goal. Uh, Jamie can do the moderation thing. So I think you and I are more alike yeah. in that cold turkey is actually easy for people like us. I think initially with the way that I used to be, it just seemed like the obvious choice. And then that way I could set clear boundaries with my friends of which mm. 97% aren't really actively involved in my life anymore. Mm. And not for any other reason that, we just don't have a lot in common anymore. They're not bad people. Mm. They're just, I've just evolved from mm. that person that I was and I need to be around people that will, you know, lift you up. And it did take, you know, the hardest part about the not drinking. If people are, you know, going, fuck, you know, my, my social life, you know, dancing at a wedding. Once people get used to the fact that you are not drinking, and stop, and stop giving you shit for it. And if they keep giving you shit for it, you can choose to have them in your life or not. That's up to you. Mm. But then they start going, fuck, he looks really good. He looks good. <laughs> and then you do your very first dance at a wedding, sober. And it feels really good. And then you meet the love of your life in the streets of Melbourne during the middle of the day, stone cold sober. And you remember that experience like it was yesterday. And you go, fuck me. This is really cool. What else can I do sober? (laughs) And now try and stop me. Mm. Try and stop me. Mm. 
So one thing I really want to bring up with you, Laven, is your 100K run that you did. Um, phenomenal. Could you just give us a little bit of um, background? Like you said that you went out and you ran from running 5K, you went and did, you know, 24, 25. What then made you go, okay, I'm going to do one, 100K now? <laughs> What was the drive behind that? Was it a bet oh, man. or was I'd it been, a... <laughs> I'd been listening to a lot of David Goggins uh, between running the... So I'll tell you the story. So that week that I ran the 24Ks, when I got home from the run, and the only reason I stopped was because I was real hungry, I did 100 push-ups, 100 sit-ups and 100 dips. And then I was like, motherfucker, I'm going to run a marathon. <laughs> So I jumped online and found the Terrelgan Marathon down here in Victoria, which is Australia's oldest mm-hmm. and most boring marathon. But I signed up and it was in two weeks. One of our best friends up here actually has won that, Jodie Ditterich. She's oh, won the Terrelgan shout Marathon. Out Jody. Long yep. time ago. Long time ago. But yep, shout Doesn't out to Jodie. <laughs> it's really flat. It's a really great beginner marathon, I think. It's really well run. Great people down, you know, God's country. But I uh, ran that with a friend of mine who I roped into running, who hadn't run for nine months. And we still finished in three hours, 56. So that was two weeks after my 24K. Gosh. And then after that, I was like, I had a friend of mine who's who's a triathlete as well. Not a professional one like you guys, but he said, why don't you run the 50K Surf surf Coast Century? And I jumped on the website and had a look and I was like, what about the hundred? And he goes, Oh mate, you're fucking crazy. You're going to train for ages for that. So I just did it and booked it and paid for it, knowing that I could just reverse engineer it from there. And I, and I ran a 50 K five weeks after the, the marathon, which I did around the 10, which is like 13 laps of the 10, the 10 ultra. Mm. And there's a funny story that happened on that run. If you'd like to hear that one later on, but I, um, I just felt invincible and my recovery was really extraordinary. Like, uh, I wasn't in any physical pain. I've stopped getting soft tissue injuries since I cut gluten out of my diet like mm. three years ago, whatever. And so I ended the run and I asked a lot of people to run it with me. And as you can imagine, there's not a lot of uptake in a 100K run. <laughs> no. But my friend Sam, who ran the Terrelga Marathon with me, finally convinced his, his wife to let him run because she was fearful he was going to die. Ah. And after what happened, she's, <laughs> she wasn't far off. But oh, no. during during the marathon, he he was struggling because he was he, he hadn't been doing hardly any run running, and so I motivated the shit out of him, and we got across the line because of a lot of the energy that I expended. When I ran the hundred, we got the first fifty k's done in about seven hours. We're on track to run a good time considering it's our first one. Mm. Very cold, very wet, miserable day down in Anglesey. One of the coldest weekends on record, I think. Ill-prepared with nutrition and electrolytes. Didn't know shit, right? Just listen to David Goggins. What else do you need? And at about the halfway halfway mark, when I got up from the, the halfway aid station, my what I found out was my IT band, iliotibial band, started to hurt. And within a couple of Ks of leaving, it really, really hurt. God, it was the most extraordinary pain I've ever been in. And Sam, who I'd stuck with during the Terrelgan Marathon, stuck with me for 50 kilometres in the coldest, most miserable, hail-infused rain, wind, 
and there may as well have been snow because <laughs> what else could you have had there? And we crossed the line holding hands, 18 hours, 56, 47 seconds. And it's the greatest and hardest thing I've ever done in my life to this point. Wow. So he paid the favour back and was able to be your motivator. Yeah. <laughs> I know which one I would have preferred. Yeah. <laughs> real testament. He's uh, Sam Skinner. Big shout out to you, Sam. He's a, he's a rare breed of, of individual mm. because you guys, you know, that have in the, the sports that you guys compete in, to wait around because, you know, it was so cold and you couldn't generate any heat because he couldn't run and because he was with me. And 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 mm. I I put that pain down to the, the closest thing I'll ever experience to childbirth, which mm. I know I might ruffle a few feathers, but <laughs> that or standing on Lego in the middle of the night. Oh. <laughs> um, I love it. Okay, so you're also now writing a book. You've just started. You've kind of just kicked off with that kind of to tell your story um, and you do some coaching and motivational speaking as well. So give us a, give us a rundown of a few other things and key, key topics throughout that, the book and your coaching. Well, I'll start out with the coaching first. The coaching is just more, I call it uh, accountability coaching and I'm not a qualified life coach or nutritionist or dietitian. My coaching comes from a place of this is what I've done if you're interested in trying it, here's the resources that I used because it's naive of me to assume that I got to this point without any help. I I asked for a lot of help, whether that be through resources, online books, uh, mentors, people, you name it, right? And so, and I, and the coaching that I do is, I will never ask them to do anything that I've never done, and I'll never do anything. I never asked them to do anything that I wouldn't be prepared to do either. And so I'm very much a practice what I preach. I want to look the part. I want to, to behave in such a way. And it's not that I'm putting on a facade. I'll be mm. brutally honest about the areas that I can help them with because my finances, for example, is was a total disaster. But it was the last chapter of my life that I now am furiously working on to rectify because I invested so much time and effort working on all the other fundamentals that without those, really the finances were the last in my fucking yeah. worries, you know? Yeah, yeah. So so that's the coaching. The 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 keynote speaking is a relatively new thing. Um, I, fi- I found my message, I found my why, and my goal, my new goal is to become the world's most influential and greatest motivational speaker. Big goal. That's, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's it. And, and the reason being is not for the title or the status or the money or the whatever else. With what I've gone through and how good I feel now, that if the rest of the world could feel as good and were as productive as I have been, the world would be a much better place in my opinion. Mm. And so in order for me, I was thinking, how can I amplify my message? And it's not trying to convince people to change and do this stuff. It's to show people that they can live much happier lives. And so, you know, I had an experience recently with Les Brown, who there was a podcast that came out a week or so ago. If you don't know Les Brown, he's regarded as one of the world's greatest motivational speakers. And I convinced him to come on my little itty bitty podcast at that time. And this ties into the book because he, before we started filming the, the body of the podcast, we had some small talk and he was in America 
He's 75 years old, cancer survivor, former prescription pill addict, as it turns out, got 10 children, lived the most extraordinary life. And we exchanged some pleasantries. And then I asked him what he thought of the name of the podcast, Become Your Own Superhero. And he gave me some really great feedback. And then I felt compelled to share my story with him, similar to the one that I've just told you guys, including the financial challenges. And he, mm. he listened and then he said, congratulations with regards to the drinking. I said, thanks, Liz. And he said, are you recording this? And I said, yeah. And he said, I'm going to show you something. And then he said, I want, I want you to tell me who's the most, who was the most influential person in your life at six years of age. And my parents split up when I was three and a half. And so dad wasn't able to be in my life as much at that point. But it was my mum. And he said, what are, the, what are the, the, the behaviors? What are the positive things that she imparted upon you? And they were tenacity, fearlessness, unconditional love, generosity, that type of thing. And then Les took all that information, he wrote it down. And then he read back to me for about 12 minutes, my book. And he said, this is how you're going to make money. And he gave me the blueprint of my book and then to turn that into a keynote and then to turn that to an online course. And I sat there watching this unfold and, and thinking about it now, I get, I get quite emotional. I'm still, I'm still coming to terms with this extraordinary gift that mm. he gave me. And he, he's quite a religious man. And he said, this is your God moment. And so he said, the book is called Bet on You. And, and he said, you're going to write this and you're going to reference all of these great qualities and how you can show other people because as a, as a speaker, you need a book for credibility. And so he just, he gave me my ideas back to me in this beautiful packaging. Mm. And this is where I've started this book from. So it's, it's come really easy. I'm just telling it in story form. And I look forward so much to sharing it. Because it's, it's got Liz, and he's going to write the foreword for this book as well. He offered to write the foreword. So, you know, when you ask me how I'm doing, like, <laughs> doing pretty, pretty good. We can't wait, wait to, um, to read that book. Yeah, that's exciting stuff. It's, um, it's chilling. Like it gives you good goosebumps. So... Have you got a bit of a morning routine? You get up and exercise, you go for your run first thing and all that sort of thing? Uh, yeah, I do. Uh, I'm not 100% rigid on it. Um, I like that. <laughs> yeah, I've got a whiteboard that sits at the end of the, on the Duchess at the end of the, the bed that I write most days what I'm going to do the next day. And it might start with like 6 a.m. coffee in bed with Anna, my partner, right? And then it'll say 6.45, run or one lap, which might be six Ks or two laps, or um, it ends up being 10 Ks because it's around the 10 in Melbourne. And then I'll put, um, you know, try and put down the hardest thing first, you know, call the finance company to put my loan on diversion during coronavirus, like whatever it might be, yeah. try and knock out the, the challenging ones first. Um, with my, I've got a goal to run a sub three hour marathon this year, which is very aggressive. Awesome. But I need to, I need to get a bit leaner. I just, I'm about 80, 80 kilos at the moment, uh, which is eight kilos down from I was a month ago, by the way, 
before wow. I started the Lion Diet and 5% body fat. So, wow. Um, and no, no drugs or, or purging or anything. Mm-mm. So, and then, and then I just put a line through them when I've done them and I get this like little wee sense of satisfaction, you know, like mm. Jordan Peterson talks about the importance of making your bed before you leave the house so that if you achieve nothing else for the day, you know, you've made the bed. I think Jocko Willenick or whatever his name, it talks, talks about that too. Um, it's no more complicated than that. I do diary. I do write in my diary sometimes, but again, it's another thing that I could be much better at. Mm. Still have days where I'm like, fuck, like I could, just could have done that better. Like, or I just want to just do nothing. You know, like I'm still very deeply flawed as an individual, but I, I make sure that I, I never speak poorly about myself ever anymore. I don't use self-deprecating humor. I don't use sarcasm anymore. And I talk to people in a way that I feel like I'm imparting value as opposed to sucking the life mm. from them. Mm. And when you do that, you start getting it back in spades. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, the self-talk, um, huge thing, like the differences that it makes. Um, and it just takes a little bit of practice really doesn't it if a negative thought starts to come into your head you just sort of have a have a thought or if you either you quiet your mind or you think of a gratitude type thing that brings you into the moment and that thought just disappears um but it's it's something that you kind of need to practice to get good at because it's it's a bit like trying to explain to people that meditation um is a bit like being bored uh where you actually have no thoughts you're not uh entertained you're not thinking of anything. You actually are, it's like you're bored. And it's a similar sort of process as when you stop that negative thought because now you're no longer thinking of something that's entertaining you. Even if it's a negative response, it's still a thought. And we talked about before, like that addiction to, to distraction and, and a negative thought is just another distraction. So it's quite interesting when you've got a, have that feeling of being bored and no longer thinking of anything. Um, but that's what it takes to practice that, that cutting off that self-troll talk. Mm. Is that what you experienced a bit? Yeah. Yeah. And there was one other really important thing that I forgot to mention as well. Um, as part of my, my daily routine, it, it, when I'm running, when I finish my run, I take my shoes and socks off and I stand in the grass and I ground. Mm. And there's a lot of conjecture regarding grounding, whether it's a real thing or whatever, I think even even if it is debunked, I think that feeling of being connected to the earth does something to me. Mm. And it's funny, you know, they talk about it, it changing the viscosity of your blood makes your blood thinner. And I, and I, and I have occasionally taken my pinprick um, blood glucose and uh, ketone monitor with me to check my, my levels because I'm fascinated by all this stuff. And, and I've noticed that when I've pinpricked my finger standing on the grass post-run, that when the blood comes out, it comes out way quicker than when I've, if I'm at home on the 38th story, mm. which mm-hmm. I find really interesting. So, mm. yeah. well, you know, I'm a, big, I'm a big fan of grounding and, and believe mm. in it. Um, a, a good thing I can suggest to you is, is Google a lot of scientific-type podcasts around 
the earth's magnetism um we listened mm. i was listening to one the other day about the solar winds and that's all about the magnetism of the sun's effect on earth and and vice versa and um yeah there's so much other so many other levels of scientific information that we're living here on this earth we have absolutely zero concept about it and even if we listen to it it's very hard to conceptualize and and make it tangible in our mind about how that stuff works but yeah it, it's a fascinating topic so I, i've gone down that rabbit hole of the whole other aspect of earth's magnetism and those kind of changes and, and it's really interesting that even if you so you don't go don't google grounding you know google like the earth's magnetism and other things that they don't even talk about grounding because it's the scientific level where it's at it's really mm. fascinating and i've experienced just like firsthand because all the pools have been closed so normally you're swimming in the pool um, in chlorine you know four or five times a week and we've been forced to swim in the ocean even though it's cold it's even cold in noosa it does get cold in noosa everyone <laughs> Um, I think like this morning it would have been, what, 10 degrees or something at 5.45 in the morning. It was dark. We've been jumping in a few. But the water's still about the, 22 no, the, or 3 or something. Yeah, it still feels very cold though. Um, and we're not wearing wetsuits at the moment, but I'm noticing I'm the happiest I've ever been. I mean, there's lots of, you know, there's diet and work and purpose and everything along with it. Um, but it just being in the ocean and they do say, say that grounding, um, having mm. the salt water on you and um, having bare feet on the sand, even though they're numb, <laughs> bare feet, um, just feels absolutely incredible. We don't want to go back to the chlorinated swimming pool um, because this is, it feels like such a treat. Yeah. It, it, look, I I have seen there is some absolutely some hardcore science suggesting that this is spot on, this grounding mm. stuff. Mm. I think the other thing that I've, done in my life for people are curious to know all the ins and outs i was always super sensitive to deodorant and even the crystal i try everything don't see me anything like i'd try everything so now <laughs> i don't wear anything i don't wear any aftershave mm. i don't put any cream on my body apart from the occasional bit of that maybe that poor poor thing if you, your lips get a bit windburn or whatever if you're doing a run yeah um i put on squirrel nut butter in my groin so i don't chafe when I'm running but apart from that like and I've so I've tried to eliminate as many things in my Toxins. life because I'm a big believer mm. in that I think there's not a silver bullet for any of this stuff and the more things you can eliminate that might cause issues mm. the more successful you'll be and one point that I wanted to sort of circle back to is that the reason why I think I've been able to be so productive in the last two years especially and so so much more of a contributor to, the, to society is because I recover so quickly from everything, like mm. the injury from running or the, or the muscle soreness or the mental, you know, bump, road bump that you might hit or whatever, that difficult person you might be dealing with or whatever, like all of this stuff. And I don't care. I don't give a fuck anymore. Like mm. I, don't, I'm not, I have no fear of death. Mm. And when you live like that, God, you can just, you can kick ass on a daily basis. It's mm. fucking cool. Mm. Yeah, and I'll add, it, it's not like you go around stinking out uh, people's places anymore because I'm sure, um, as I've experienced, that once you do, when your diet's clean and your gut is good, you don't actually have bad BO anymore. Um, but if I go off my diet and I get some inflammation and I've eaten some junk food, then my BO comes back a bit. So, yeah, I'm a bit, I'm like, yeah, I, I avoid using it when I can because I actually don't need it when my body's healthy. Yeah. You've, 
Yeah, it, it, you're right. And because I, I get feedback. Don't worry. I'm, I'm, I'm getting feedback. <laughs> I give Pete feedback as well. Yeah, <laughs> but it's amazing how da- some days are worse than others. And I can cor- correlate that to basically what I've eaten in the previous 48 hours or something like that. You know? Yeah, yeah. Because well, if I cheat and eat a bunch of shitty carbohydrate, whatever it might mm. be, my farts stink <laughs> like they will burn the eyebrows off anyone which is what they had done for my entire life my mom talks mm. about changing nappies with a nose with a, a clothes peg on her nose when i was a baby right but there was even a period there and this this is going real woo woo so just bear with me i remember before i met anna i could smell what must have been the pheromones of a healthy attractive woman before I could even see it. And so like when mm. I, I lived and worked in the city and the CBD and be occasionally, it only happened about half a dozen times, I would walk past someone, not realizing male or female, and and turn around. And honestly, I nailed it every single time. They were they were beautiful because they were healthy. Mm. So they were fit and they 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 must have looked after themselves and mm. they, they must have been wearing a lot of perfume. And I think from an evolutionary point of view, that makes way more sense on how to connect with someone than fucking Bumble or Tinder. Like yeah. mm. or fake or all these really fake perfumes and strong BO um, yeah, yeah. deodorants and mm. stuff. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, just a thought. Yeah, yeah it's a good thought. <laughs> it's it's not it's not woo-woo. <laughs> good thought. Well, I've, I've, I've... not to us anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Probably a good spot to wrap it up. Oh, you know, just, I think we've covered it. Just oh, before we go, Laban, is there any like one message um, that you would give to everyone out there wanting to make a change? Is what's what's your one little pearl of wisdom that you can pass on to everyone listening to this podcast? Zig Ziglar, one of the world's greatest now deceased motivational speakers, always said that you can get whatever you want in life as long as you help enough other people get what they want. And since I've adopted that mantra and Mm. come from a place of love and abundance rather than a place of fear and scarcity, my life has transformed in a way that I can't even really quantify at this point, but it's heading in a direction that I am very, very excited about and am absolutely blessed. So I hope that helps. It, it does. And I have to say, we haven't known each other for long. Um, I obviously was on your podcast and so was Pete, but I feel like you've um, left such a big imprint and um, passed on so much valuable knowledge as well. I really appreciate your time, your love and energy for Pete and I and everything we're doing as well. So I have to say a big, big thank you to that. And I look forward to everything ahead. <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, the same goes from this end. There's not often you have something like people that have an impact and, the, you know, the information that I've learned just from our engagements already has been really invaluable and life-changing and I hope that people that are watching this appreciate that there is a really great place that you can be for the, for the majority of your time. It's not always going to be plain sailing, but mm. I think worthwhile is ever easy. Mm. thank you very much for having me (laughs) and just quickly Laban where can people find you if if they want to find out more about you they want to learn about what you do where can they find you the podcast is called become your own superhero it's available on uh, we record it on YouTube it's on Stitcher iTunes all the major Spotify all the major platforms there my website is labanditchburn.com L-A-B-A-N-D-I-T-C-H-B-U-R-N Laban means yogurt in Arabic oh wow 
which explains why I'm so cultured. <laughs> and, Dad joke. Uh, and, yeah, and, and hit me up on LinkedIn. I'll connect with you if you like. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks so much for coming on our show, Labum. Great to talk to you. And thanks for all your insights. Shout out. Live your own fit. Thanks for having me, guys. <laughs> thanks, Labum. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's program. If you'd like to get in touch with Jamie or myself directly about our 12-week life school program where we optimize health and performance as well as a coaching program, please do at liveyourownfit.com or on our socials at liveyourownfit and we'd love to hear from you. Get in touch for a free 15-minute discovery phone call. See if we are the right fit for you and until next time, stay well.